Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. I have to explain to you why we're doing the show that we're doing. And the only way to do that is to take you back to the very, very early stages of our show, which is nine years old now. So in 2010, this is how an opening of the show sounded. Just look now, but there's another rocky road. Another heavy wild, another much too heavy, heavy low. Today I'm going to face it, yeah, because I'm sick of dealing any other way. Nobody said the race was fair, but I'm going to keep it Live from Dankosky Community College on Academic Asylum Hill, where Beard Grooming 101 just let out, I'm Kyone Wolf, Dean of Onion Sculpting, and today's show is about the mission of community colleges. Biology with onions, structural engineering with onions, history of the onion. Okay, maybe getting a degree in onionology is in the future, but four great professors join us today. And now the professor of stain removal, Colin McEnroe. All right, that's a song by Prince. It's actually not even a song that Prince liked very much, I think. It was actually released on an album that he he released to complete a contractual obligation that he wasn't entirely happy about. Uh, But I liked it, and I thought it sounded not like a public radio song. So when I joined this radio station, that's how I opened my show every single day. And that was Kyone Wolf talking there, and uh, we sort of re-edited it or cut up the song a little bit differently to to fit it in better. Um, And a lot of people (laughs) hated it, like really hated it. Uh, including Patrick Scahill, who was then the lead producer on the show. But I made everybody put up with it anyway, and then we stopped doing it, except that we always need to have music that sits behind two things. One of them is called the billboard, and that's a 60-second talk piece that I have to do every day right before the news, explaining what the show is that's coming up after the news. And the other way that – so we run that music, the instrumental part of that music, behind it every single day. Uh, And then the other way that we use it many times per day is behind the promo. So from 2010 until now in 2018, like here's basically what – well, we're actually in a very sort of Russian nesting doll way going to play the promo for today's show. Hi, this is Colin McEnroe. Do you hear the music behind me? That's been the theme music for the Colin McEnroe Show for nine years. We've been talking about getting rid of it for about three years. On our next episode, we are going to have a conversation about how we're going to do that, where we're going to find new theme music, and where theme music even comes from. So join us. All right, so... Joining me in studio are two friends of mine. They're also wonderful, wonderful musicians. They're also part of the vast answer to 
where do theme songs come from, because they themselves have written theme songs. Kate Callahan is here with us. She is Connecticut's 16th state troubadour. Her new album is Triumph. I recommend that you get tickets for her album release show April 21st at Emanuel Congregational Church in Hartford. I'm going to mention that one or two more times during the show. I have to say, I've been to many Kate Callahan shows, and magical things happen at them. Jim Chapdelaine is with us. He provides his own kind of magic. He composed the theme song for WNPR's award-nominated Hartford Yard Goats podcast, the second first season. He's done so much more than that as a producer, songwriter, guitarist, every activist, everything else. He's won Emmys and stuff like that, you know, stuff like Emmys. So they're here with us. Let me just begin by asking the two of you. I'm going to ask Kate first because I know that Jim's relationship with this question is very complicated. Kate, do you like that song, the stuff that we just played? It's okay to say that you don't like it. We're getting rid of it. I love it. For me, that song is a rallying cry, which I think is is one essential the central component of a, a good theme song is something that people hear and they come running, you know, come dialing into the station, come sit down and turn on the TV, whatever it is, it rallies people. All right, then we're keeping it. Show's over. <laughs> uh, everybody go home. Now, you, you Jim Chaplin, didn't deny. I'm well, stuttering I'm, because I'm I'm so... unpacking the whole experience now. So you, you can preface it if you want to. No, you just dive, right. you dive right So I, I, I initially was not one of the favorables for that song. Right. And now I know why because I hadn't heard – because in the last few years, I'm like, now what was I thinking about? This song sounds great. It's because you're using the instrumental section. And I guess the, the today, today, today sounded a little bit too happy for a show where some people – you have a show about people who drink their own urine. Right. What's not happy about that? Well, I, I'm not one of those people, so I didn't <laughs> – I don't get that. So, but you helped unpack that. So, so uh, my complex relationship was explained. I forgot that there were vocals to it. Right. There were days where we didn't use the, the theme right. song because it was too happy and we were doing a, a much more. And now more. you've moved on to a period where you use the instrumental donut, right? Right. And so, Kate, you don't feel uh, – so when we played it for one of the Steve Metcalfs, not the one that you know, but the other one, the Slade Culture Gabfest one, uh-huh. he said it sounded like a jazzercise class. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's terrible in its awesomeness. I think it's. I mean, I remember when that was used, and it just it made me want to listen. Well, I mean, that that would be a goal of theme music, yeah. right? right. Yeah. But the question is, did you want to listen because the show is great, and then eventually you come to associate that, which it's, which mm-hmm. happens sometimes, right? That song just pulled me out of whatever I was doing, mm-hmm. whether that was a pull that I could digest or not, it did pull me out of whatever I was doing, so I would listen. I mean, the problem with any theme song, I think, also is some people are going to like it, but some people are going to hate it. And if you really don't, I mean, I've heard from people who, even factoring for the fact that, as Jim says, we're only using the instrumental donut now, and we're only using it for 60 seconds before the show and during the promos, have said that they do not listen to my show (laughs) because... Of that music because it bothers pretty, them so much. That's a pretty strong stance, right. don't you think? Although I should say if you podcast the show – like Nessa Rose is listening to the show in Chile right now and she just is completely unaware or baffled by what we're talking about because if you don't listen to a broadcast version of our show, you don't ever hear that music. You don't hear promos. You don't hear billboards. You don't have – so I'm sorry, Nessa. This is confusing to you. All right. So what we did was – so we, so Kate and I both know this uh, one person named Steve Metcalf. And uh, he's the kind of person who likes 
to think about stuff like this. So Jonathan McNichol and I went off to see Steve Metcalf to ask him some deep questions about theme music. As I was thinking about this, I began thinking about the themes either to movies or TV shows that have lasted a long time, that are, that are still in our heads and still in the culture. And I could think of no better example, actually, than uh, the one that goes something like this. Which, of course, is the James Bond theme. But the interesting thing about this one is that it sort of has different layers. It sort of comes at you in, in several different waves. So, there's, so that the, there's that lick, which is mysterious and which establishes that we're dealing with maybe a you know, a spy or kind of mystery movie. But then the very next lick that comes along is this one. Usually played by a guitar. And that's a little jauntier, a little, I don't know, a little more lighthearted. It sort of tells us that this is not entirely serious and we can kind of sit back. And then the third one... It's sort of Felix lighter. <laughs> exactly. And then the third one is the one that goes like this. which is even a little jazzier and I think a little lighter and to me sort of calls up, you know, Connery coming into the casino with his dinner jacket on about to win a quick, you know, 40 grand at the Bacharach table. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, the great thing about this is that it really perfectly kind of prepares us for what kind of movie it is and what's the tone of it. And, and yes, there's uh, intrigue and a little mystery and, 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 you know, sort of thrillerdom, but it's, it's lighter than that, and there's, and there's playfulness, and there's a kind of a winking at the violence. So what you're saying so far is that it, I mean, we would guess probably that the theme music wouldn't be completely randomized. It's not just some catchy tune that might, that, that the people who write this music probably do think a little bit about how it's going to mesh with the actual final product. Well, that's right. So one of the problems that we have right now, the problem that we're trying to solve, is that sometimes we are lyrical and lighthearted, and sometimes we are a little bit more right. uh, serious about what we're doing. And I think it's easy to get one or the other. It's hard to get both. First of all, this this is one of the great movie themes of all time, in my opinion. This is the theme to The Apartment, Billy Wilder's movie, with Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. And uh, as I think you'll see, the great thing about this tune is that it is both kind of rom-com. I mean, there's a, there's a Hollywoody romance to this, to this theme, but, but also a little darkness, a little drama. And of course, there, there is a drama to this movie, uh, and it is both at the same time, and it goes like this. <laughs> So another thing, obviously, that we could say about the show that we're trying to help out right now 
my show, um, <laughs> is that it's a talk show. It's a show that people come on and they, it's, it's not a talk show like The Tonight Show, but it's a talk show. But we might as well play The Tonight Show theme song because that, that probably is about us. Yeah, which worked very well, I think, in, in just preparing again for the fact that this was going to be, I don't know, a sort of variety show. It just had that, that feel to it. Which is by a Paul Anka tune. By yeah, the way. we were thinking about using an instrumental version of "Having My Baby," uh, which also by <laughs> Paul Anka. One thing that you said as we were kind of getting ready for this is probably repurposing any piece of music has risks to it. That probably we should get somebody to write something. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it has risks both ways, though, right? I mean, if you get something that people know, then it draws them in. But you know, if it sends the wrong message somehow, I remember years ago. I can't remember the name of the conductor who told me that for years he had played the Lone Ranger theme to his children's concerts, and the kids all, you know, were delighted to recognize it. We're talking, of course... Uh written by that well-known theme composer uh, Rossini. Um, but then one day he played it and he turned around expecting them to all be squealing and happily recognize it, and there was nothing. And he realized that, like, overnight the show had uh, apparently gone out of syndication, and suddenly it just reverted back to being a 19th century Italian opera overture. So, so there's a danger uh, both ways. Do you have any last pieces of advice for us as we... Uh, no, I just want to. I just want to. Uh, I want to play one more. One more. And okay. It goes like this. <laughs> and I just want to play it because the other day, this is a true story. There were some kids uh, behind my backyard playing basketball, like middle school kids. And one of the kids came out of the house dressed in something crazy, and the other kids started singing that theme. So I'm assuming that that means that it's been used on South Park or something because how else would they know that? Well, also, but Bob, anyway, it lives yeah. on. Bob Mueller plays it also in his <laughs> office every day, actually, uh, just to get the troops fired up. All right, Steve right. Metcalf, thank you so much for your musical wisdom right. and your piano talent. All right, so now we're transported back into our other studio. That was his living room. We're back into our other studio with Jim Chapdelaine and Kate Callahan. I want to remind you, by the way, Saturday night. You have to go Saturday night to Emmanuel Church and have something musically ma magical happen. Uh, that'll be uh, the, um, the drop party for uh, Kate's new CD, Triumph, at 630 at Emmanuel Church in Hartford. All right, so, wow, he's really thought this stuff. Kate, he's really thought these things through. I don't think I'd really given that much thought to say the James Bond theme song. But I think he's right about all that stuff. My goodness, he has thought things through. And, and I was doing the same thing, you know, preparing for this show. And mm -hmm. I, was, I was thinking about the one, the one thing that, that seems quintessentially theme song, and that is the ability for a song to help people commune with each other. And, and I was thinking about that, and I was I had a contrast going in my head. I remember in 1994, uh, my friend Anna Emily gave me a copy of Sarah McLachlan's 
album, Fumbling Toward Ecstasy. Mm -hmm. And I put that on my headphones and I just, the music just begged me to isolate and be with it and listen and listen and listen. And then if you think back maybe 10 years prior to that and the movie Ghostbusters comes out and then a theme song like the Ghostbusters, you know, it, it draws people to each other. It unites people in its hilarity. And I think that's a, the uniting quality is, is a, important for a theme song. Although I think your love is better than ice cream is a very uniting statement. <laughs> yeah. Call. So, um, yeah, that's like my one act of retrieval from my brain that I'm going to do all day today, but I, I'm feeling good about it. So, I don't know, Jim, I'm just going to let you react to that and then we, we're going to take a quick break. You notice he's drawing from a period of time when theme songs were really theme songs. Do you think they're less important now? Or? No, I, I think we've come full circle. Yeah. And I think, I think we owe that. So, so, maybe in the 90s, there were still some pretty strong theme songs happening. I don't know when, when theme songs turned into sound designs for a while. Right. And so they were just a sound that sort of triggered you to, to recognize what you're about to hear. But then you started seeing stuff like The Sopranos mm. and that became an automatic like your mouth waters yeah. when you hear that song. Right. And I would say the same thing with Game of Thrones. These big – part of that is because they could afford graphics mm -hmm. for these big opens. Yeah. And, and I think those songs kind of brought the, the drama back. You know, there's a little Perry Mason happening again. Right. And that, some of those <clears throat> things are also nicely eternal. Like when we were just sort of tuning up here and sound checking, I think you played – play the Barney Miller lick. Can you play that? See, I don't think that can be a theme song for anything now. I think it, that kind of belongs. Definitely not Game of Thrones. Yeah, definitely. It belongs in its time period. Dem Throne. So speaking of that, we're about to go into a little pledge drive thing. And I'm sure everything that's happened so far on this show has really made you want to give money. And so um, – <laughs> And be rest to, assured that I won't get any of it. I'm supposed to laugh when we say that. Um, so, so Jim, because he can do these things, he can write these songs. I will say that I've I came in with a post-it. Yeah. This is on a post-it. <laughs> and, and then I woke up this morning and thought, I should make music to it to what the heck. Right. <clears throat> so he has this post-it. It's a blue post-it. And then he kind of shows it. He waves it at Kate and goes. Yeah. said, so, Kate, you do this. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and – so do you want? Uh, maybe, you know what I would say. Should look, we do? Let's do a rehearsal. Are we going to try to sing with him the first time, or are we, are we just going to? Maybe not. No. Okay. Okay. So, so here's what the do we do? You're going to you're going to just play it. Play it. All right. So uh, coming up's a number you should call it. First, go find your credit card or wallet. Make sure if you're driving you wait. Make sure you pull over if you're driving in a car. It's a perfect time to donate to WNPR. I, I would just like to say, in Kate's and possibly my defense, he doesn't even really sing it the way he wrote it on the post-it. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's evolving. It barely exists in my it's, head. It's evolving. You know, right. How can it exist on so a post-it? As you guys get ready for the pledge break, we're mm -hmm. going to uh, try to get you in the mood to pledge by doing the new pledge break theme song. So, Jim? Two, three, four. Coming up's a number you should call it. First, go find your credit card or wallet. Make sure you pull over if you're driving in a car. It's a perfect time to donate to WNPR. Oh, that's a take. That's a wrap. All right.
I think it's fair to say that we would not be doing the episode that we're doing right now were it not for something that I heard, as it turned out, about three or four years ago on one of my favorite podcasts. That's the Slate Culture Gab Fest. And they did something which, in retrospect, is, was really, really smart. They were changing their theme song. And rather than just making whatever set of internal determinations one makes and then springing it on the unsuspecting public, they cut the public in on the decision-making process. Before I bring aboard one of our guests here, Stephen Metcalf, let's hear what their old theme sounded like. So this is December 2014. I'm Stephen Metcalf, and this is the Slate Culture Gabfest Rock, Paper, Scissors edition. It's Wednesday, December 10th, 2014. On today's show, Wild is the new film from the director of Dallas Buyers Club of Movies. All right, so Stephen Metcalf, Slate's critic at large and co-host of the Slate Culture Gabfest, is now sitting up there in Hudson, New York, dabbing at his eyes with a nostalgic handkerchief. I'm dabbing um, in my ears in order to not hear the sound of my own voice, Colin, please. <laughs> well, those were the days, anyway. So, so at a certain point, you decided that this was not going to be your theme song anymore. Can you remember what, what occasioned that turn of mind? Well, backing up a little bit, I, no one, as far as I know, maybe the, maybe the great algorithm in the sky decided to make that first one our theme song. I'm, it was pulled probably from the internet for free and slapped onto our show back in the day when a podcast was really just three you know, people in a microphone and was in keeping with the kind of insouciant attitude that uh, podcasts were made with. But after a while, it just, it's, so, it's so goofy listening to it now. I mean, I haven't heard it, heard it in forever. <laughs> But it's like nothing about that riff, that kind of laid-back, you know, Santa Monica riff, connected to what the energy or attitude of our show was. So we decided to correct that going forward. So you did this really brilliant thing. You worked with a uh, composer named Nick Brittell. And all of you, the three hosts of the show, talked a little bit about who you were and, and what your aflatus was and how that might contribute to the, the musical imprint that he would create. Let's hear Nick Brittell talking about that creative brief he was given when the new theme was commissioned from you guys. There were a lot of different ideas that were presented uh, for uh, for exploration of what we would do with the music. And um, there were various things uh, from polyvocal to represent your three voices, um, words like granola, Kierkegaard, gamelan, uh, spilkes were mentioned, a strut quality, something that could challenge people um, but doesn't trouble the conscience, uh, I think was... <laughs> I think was mentioned. Uh, some of the takeaways were it felt like we should try having some sort of a beat felt interesting. Um, also, guitar seemed to be something which wasn't absolutely necessary, but a lot of the things that you listened to or talked about felt like they had a guitar element that you liked. So some of the stuff that I have here has guitar. And uh, a few of the other terms, there was non-Western pop, Indonesian bird song was mentioned, um, Swedish emo... I'm just listening, and I'm thinking, Nick Brattel, you poor bastard. <laughs> it sounds kind of like he was being punked, right? Like, I mean, how do you ever take that salad, that like half-rotten salad of words and non-words and semi-concepts and actually crank out a piece of music? I mean, 
incredible that he came up with anything. We should mention that the people cackling in the background include Dana Stevens and Julia Turner, your two uh, co-conspirators on this show. So I want to just cut right to the chase because people are now at the edge of their seats. Those people who are foolish enough not to be chronic listeners to the Slate Culture Gab Fest the way I am, they're they're thinking, well, what came out of this? Uh, What manticore was assembled from these disparate parts? So here's how the show opened in January of 2015. I'm Stephen Metcalf, and this is the Slate Culture Gap Fest, the Brio of the Bowie edition. It's Wednesday, January 7th, 2015. On today's show, Mr. Turner is the new film from director Mike Lee about the great English painter J.M.W. Turner. And then Lee Daniels has created a sudsy new hour-long for Fox. It's about a music mogul. All right, so that's the way things have sounded uh, forever since. I'm going to be honest with you and say my first reaction when the the song was first debuted, you know, there's always the shock of the new. There's the potential for Stravinsky-type Rite of Spring riots uh, (laughs) among the populace. And my first reaction was, you know, there's an old joke about how a a camel is a horse created by committee. And and I sort of thought, well, this almost does sound a little bit like like that. That It's such an assemblage of these sensibilities that I can sort of hear them all. Now, my, my feelings about this have transmogrified completely. And I, I, I listened to that song just now with great fondness. I associate it with a show that I like a lot. But initially I thought, wow, maybe the, maybe the, he tried too hard to get you guys. Mm, you know, I, it's funny. I don't listen to my own podcast, so that's the second time I've heard that theme song. <laughs> um, and it hasn't grown on me yet. Yeah. Uh, and it has nothing to do with Nick, whose talents, is, uh, talents are unlimited, really, mm. in this regard. And more to do with exactly what you said, which is that it's this Frankensteinian hodgepodge, really. But, you know, at the end of the day, and Colin, you'll appreciate this, this is an entirely Pavlovian exercise. Mm. I mean, if we were able to wipe our minds completely clean of our associations, uh, musical associations behind the words The Beatles, which is the most inane pun of all time, or The Rolling Stones, I mean, there are so many bad names out there that are now so filled in with the content that underlies them, they have no independent existence as signifiers at all. And I think theme songs are like that, too. I mean, you know, when I hear, you know, when I know that Michael Barbaro's voice is about to enter my earpiece, I mean, that any piece of music could be playing, you know, for the daily podcast or your show or any, any show that, you know, one listens to over and over and over again, that it, it is an entirely triggered and almost involuntary response as long as you actually like the content. Right. Well, Stephen Metcalf, I know you have many things to do, but uh, people who don't listen should listen to Slate Culture Gab Fest. Awesome. Thank you so much, Colin. It is always a pleasure. All right. So we're back in the studio now. It will be noted that there are two different guests named Stephen Metcalf on the show, which I'm not sure I've really acknowledged so it's far. Su- super meta. Isn't that? It's yeah. meta Metcalf. And there's like this other Stephen Metcalf who works for, I think he works for Under Armour, doesn't he, Jonathan? And we always try to get him on, too. Like just uh, We should have called him up and asked him his favorite theme songs. Is there not a legal limit to right. Stephen Metcalf's? Uh, well, so far, they're all, they all delivered. Yeah, we'd like to explore that. Um, so Kate Callahan, that's not Kate Callahan who was just talking, uh, is Connecticut's 16th state troubadour. She is in the studio right now. So is Jim Chapdelaine, a guitar hero, activist, producer, and lots of other things. You know, Jim, he's right 
about like I don't know whether the Tonight Show theme song is a good song or not. It's just the music they were playing when the Tonight Show. I mean, you after, he's right that at a certain point the, the musical content of a theme song begins to be less and less relevant because you can't disassociate anymore. Right. So so he's right about the Beatles and the Rolling Stones too, just being arbitrary words until the ballast of all that content is there. And now, now they can't be flipped. I, I don't think they could be anything else. So there are pieces of music, I'm sure, that, that – you know, and th- this probably varies from person to person – that occupy places that that's the only thing that music could be. All right. Now let's, let's talk about what happens when a songwriter gets asked to write a song of this kind. So Kate Callahan in 2014 – April 14th, the city of Hartford declared, look for the good day. I must have missed good, look for the good you, day. You sure did, and, and you missed it every year since, as did the rest of us. But on April 14th, 2014, we had a large event in the Pond House in Elizabeth Park, and we honored Ann Kubitsky, the founder of the Look for the Good Project, an anti-bullying nonprofit. And I was asked months ahead of time to write something to commemorate this day. And I thought about it and I thought, well, if the city of Hartford sat down and sang a song, it would probably be a blues. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I, so I worked with a little bit of an uplifting blues. And, um, and I think the, the hook is an important part of a, a theme song. Mm-hmm. And um, so... So I got my twist on the blues, and then I got my hook. And if we, if we look for the good, we'll get on the other side. And that was it. You know, if we look for the good, we'll get on the other side. It felt like so, that's something that I could hear Hartford mm-hmm. sort of singing in its, in its uh, personified version. And... The song was debuted with a gospel choir, the Lift Every Voice and Sing Gospel Choir, Hartford-based community choir. Can, can we play a little bit of the finished product just so people can kind of hear? Absolutely. All right, so let's try that right now, John. Everywhere a wall stands bare Between your fear and your life Well, you're now a wall Like you know your pride And if we look for the good We'll get on the other side I just had an app or two about theme songs listening to that. And, and so Jim and I are now going to react to the theme song. I have a very specific reaction that came to me during that theme song. But do you want to react first or do you want to hear my reaction? No, I want to hear your specific I think it's reaction. too good to be a theme song. <laughs> I actually – I was listening to it and I was thinking, well, first of all, I'm a big Kate Callahan fan anyway. So you can't necessarily go by me. But, you know, at its best, Kate's music is very transcendent. I mean very transcendent. I mean I've had like these really almost kind of epiphanic, angelic experiences listening to it live. And, and even, you know, the beginning chords of this, Jim – it really does kind of lift you up into a place that's sort of sure. – it's yeah. a little bit bigger than some – Well, it's a real song. <laughs> yeah. Start, start, start with that, the fact that it's a real song yeah. and 
And so whatever rubric was in place was you you really loosely followed it for just this really good feeling thing. Right. Um, sometimes you have to stick closer depending on what the level of supervision is. Mm. Um, right. You have to stick really close and stay right in the lanes. But it's great mm-hmm. when you have the freedom like Kate did to write a really cool song and have that do both things. Right. I, I think it's a beautiful, special, memorable song and as such an abject failure. Uh, because <laughs> yeah, can't because write, it can't write be something worse. Because yes, you have to write something worse. Because it can't it can't be in the service of something else. You know, a song that's uh, I think that that song has a kind of purity where it just you know I don't want it doing anybody else's mm. dirty work. Even though obviously, look for the good day. Is that mm-hmm. what it's called? Yes. And that explains really why dirty. Colin hasn't been to look for the good day. <laughs> Maybe I'm the, I just can't, he can't put himself through I wouldn't that. even know how to function I look for the good day. I've spent so much time looking for the bad. All right. So – and now, Jim, let's go over to you. You were approached actually by the producer of this very episode of our show, Jonathan McNichol, who was doing a, uh, a podcast called The Second First Season. It was about the Yard Goat's attempt to actually get on the playing field and play baseball. It was, it was about many, many other things. Too. And so he asked you to write some kind of theme song. Do you want to talk about what your process was? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we can do the thing where I actually play the song. Sure. Here, here was the process. I think he contacted me on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, hey, you know, I'm looking for this thing. I don't want it to be like anything that's on NPR. I want it to be a little more raw and gritty and, you know, not digital sounding or something like that. And, and I'm like, oh, that's great, great, you know. And then he said, so uh, – uh, when do you need it? He said, uh, Thursday. And so this was I, – I had two hours on a Wednesday <laughs> to write this and then record all the parts. And lucky for me, Pants was a, a very forgiving guy. Rossini often banged those you know, Lone Ranger things yeah. out pretty fast too. Yeah. So um, all right. I just sat and I, I wrote out a chord chart and I came up with a little melody in my head and then I just blasted it out. Everything is one take on this. All right. Here we go. The one take theme song to the second first season. <clears throat> I should say, every time this song gets played on WNPR, Jim receives zero dollars. I know. The same amount of money he was paid for I feel like it's not coming in right yeah. now. But see, yeah. see and Kate, there, Now, that's without a melody, but yeah. there's that little hook. It's sort of skanky. I, Kate, I, but I, once again, I have my own little reaction. Mm. Should you want me to go first or you want to go first? You go first. I think oh, that, first, right? that first group of descending notes has the, way, has the quality of saying to me, something is about to happen, right? Like, you know... Yeah, it's right? the rallying call. Again, yeah, it went back to the rallying like, call. Yeah. yeah, like get over here. Something's about to yeah. happen. Jerk face. <laughs> yeah, because it's it not unlike look for the good. It's not necessarily a pleasant invitation. Right, right. No, it does say jerk face. <laughs> you know, and in fact, everything on there is distorted using a plugin called jerk face. Uh, everything got run right through the jerk face on that. But in the end, it, when you're constricted with time. That ends up being really fun for me. Like right. I, I, I sort of can't fail because he has to use it the next day. You know, <laughs> so even if he hates it, right. he still has to use it at least once. Yeah. No, and I, I actually, you know, as somebody who was also very devoted to that podcast, I came to have the Pavlovian, mm-hmm. you know, thing where that would come on and the notes would start, and I would go, "Okay, I'm here. 
You know, it's about to. I, I think it, that really works as a theme song, and I think because you spent all of two hours on it, it you don't have to worry about it. You know, outstripping the needs of, of being a theme song. It'll never be anything but that theme right. song. But uh, as we do this, we one of our listeners, John D. Let's call him out in case he wants to be anonymous, and also because I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name, was nice enough to compile some possible theme music for us. So is this the this is the Jeremy Steig one. This will take Jim back to some kind of hallucinogenic moment. starts off with this very high-tech synthosequency type thing, like this. That's the news. And the strings take the melody. All right, that's from Broadcast News, where these two jerk faces actually do come in and do a pitch, basically. That's them pitching a new news theme. Uh, in studio with me right now are two wonderful songwriters, Kate Callahan. I want you to think about maybe going to the uh, album release show, which is this Saturday at Emanuel Congregational Church in Hartford. The new album is Triumph. Kate's uh, Connecticut's 16th state troubadour, and I can promise magical things. Jim Chapdelaine can also promise magical things. He is a producer, activist, theme song writer, guitarist. He's so many things. I'd be here all day stop, trying to explain it all. Stop, stop. Just, it would take forever, yeah. yeah. So, um, jerk face. Jerk face. <laughs> That's right. Um, so uh, as we're sort of kind of heading down the home stretch here, I thought, because you guys are like super creative people, I thought one thing that we could do, and I'll start with you, Jim, what we did do, and I'll just remind everybody that the reason we're having this conversation is we've got this music that's written by Prince that we've been using behind our promos and our billboards. And for and back in the day, we used to use it, you know, as the actual theme song and stuff like that. And then there's this other music that we use that I think we'll probably keep that we use when, when Kion Wolf is doing the thank yous. And, and, and or the credits or whatever you might want to call them. That's actually from Get Smart, but we might keep that. But right now, maybe Kate, uh, I just got to do a few really quick thank yous. Can you just give me like a little instrumental uh, bed here for the, the, for the thank yous? All right, I got to thank a whole lot of people here. Although really today's show was a very eccentric project by me and Jonathan McNichol. <laughs> and people, everybody else kind of backed away from it. But our other producers include senior producer Betsy Kaplan and Josh Delea. Kion Wolf is our technical producer. She's the person who makes the show sound as good as it frequently does. The part of Bill Curry today was played by Big Al Anderson. And on Wednesday's show, we'll be talking about evangelicals and how they're getting along in the age of Trump. So here we are. We're coming right back to Jim and Kate here in the studio. Thank yous done. So, um, so here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see you guys are spontaneous. You're loose. So uh, I'm going to read uh, three adjectives. The producers, uh, Betsy Kaplan, Josh Nalea, Kion Wolf, and Jonathan McNichol, they got together and they, they came up with adjectives to describe the show or what they think a theme song for the show should be. And so I'm going to read <laughs> I'm going to read three adjectives to each one of them, or maybe three or four. Let's see. So for Jim, uh, you can go first. 
corny, edgy, mm-hmm. groovy. Corny, edgy, groovy. Wow. Give, me, give me corny, edgy, corny groovy. Corny and edgy. Those are... <laughs> uh, but you can do this. That's yeah, right, like right. I want you to like take that whole Zen problem. I love it. I don't know if that was any of those things. I think it, it was all those things. Okay, so uh, let's. Uh, I'm trying to pick them also, like so they'll fit the songwriter a little bit. So, Kate, curious. Thanks for corny. <laughs> so. Well, no, I knew you'd have a, I, you'd have a humorous take on corny, curious, moody, and curious, moody, and upbeat. So moody and upbeat are obviously. Can you play something for me and I'll sing a little? Sure, sure. Curious, moody, upbeat. Yeah, here we go. Okay, so curious, moody, upbeat would be a... Okay, that was pretty amazing that you guys just did that. I just want to say, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, amazing in a good way too. All right. Well, you know, we're sort of out of time here, but I'll give you an opportunity to, uh, if you have a last piece of advice for us, as we try to pick out a theme. We've been playing a few little things in the background that we that maybe we we could try. Uh, Jim, have you learned anything from this experience that would help you help us? I learned that Kate and I should probably work together yeah. with adjectives more <laughs> well, often. Let's That's do right. it. Yeah. Um, um, no, this is really fun. I, I, mean, I mean, how do you pick one? I mean, I don't know how you pick it because remember, whatever you pick right now has no connotation, right. but in a year from now, it will have the full connotation of the Colin McEnroe show. So right. it'll become good no matter what it is. Kate, any last words? Yeah, I mean, being a fan of the the original, the Prince song, I think not to be afraid of polarizing people. <laughs> I think sometimes, I mean, in, in uh, business marketing, we learn that the more polarizing you are, the more money you make. So so that's my last piece of advice. Certainly in polarizing times. Right. We are in polarizing times. All right. So uh, we're going to end with one of the songs that was suggested by our listener, John D. I don't even know how to, whether you say the name Coo or Coop. I'm going to say it's Coo. And it's by 23 Skidoo. 